I am so grateful tonight that I didn't break that. No. <laughs> I am so grateful tonight for the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To know that my sins are covered by His blood. To know that God loved me that much. I am so grateful on this first day of the week to be able to worship God. And I am grateful for like-minded brethren, I'm grateful for the congregation here in Miami that no matter where we go in this world, that we have family <laughs> under the blood of Christ. And I'm grateful especially for all of you young folks, and by young I mean any of you that are younger than me, which is a lot of you, uh, but for all of you that uh, I know from Green Valley and just being together tonight has thrilled this old man's heart as we worship and praise our God together, and so I am grateful for all of that. I've been assigned the topic tonight, attitude. We all have one, right? Some good, some, well, yeah, some days good, other days not so good. Attitude. Respect for parents and authority. And I must say that you young folks in particular have been born into and are being brought up in and live in a world wherein there is something that is very sinister. There's something that's very stealthy. There is something that is very dangerous that is seeking to sabotage both your earthly life as well as your eternal soul. Something that is much like the very air we breathe. You know, we take for granted the air we breathe. We don't count the breaths that we take every day. We just kind of take the air for granted. And air is a part of our environment. It's kind of everywhere. It's, you know, like in between the leaves on the plant here. And I mean, it's just everywhere. It permeates everything. And this sinister thing that I'm about to talk about tonight is the same way. It seems to have permeated every nook and every corner and every cranny of our environment. From the sitcoms and the schoolrooms that we're familiar with, ad campaigns, websites, Sadly, sometimes even in our worship assemblies. In fact, that is precisely one of the things that makes this thing that I'm going to tell you about in a minute so dangerous. It has become such a common, abundant, widespread, and taken for granted element of our world today that most people don't even notice it. Most people don't even realize how they need to guard against it. Most people don't even realize why they need to avoid it, many people have become so comfortable with it. And that's the temptation. That's the temptation you're going to have to deal with as well. Many people have become so comfortable and so desensitized to it, they have no idea just how dangerous and deadly it is. But God knew. And God knows. And God wants you to know. That's one reason I'm so grateful for this opportunity and this privilege tonight to talk to you about it, because I hope when you leave this building tonight that you are much more aware of its presence and its pull and its power in your life. And I hope that you leave here determined to never let it get control over your life and destroy it. What is this element of which I speak? When I say it, you may not think it's all that serious as I've described it. You may not think it's all that dangerous, but as we talk about it, maybe you will gain some 
broader insight into it. What is this element? Disrespect. Disrespect. A defined, defiant disrespect for any and all authority which God has so lovingly placed over you for your good. And although we're going to spend the vast majority of our time tonight in 1 Peter, I'm going to ask that you turn to another passage with me, and that is 2 Timothy 3. We're going to start there. In 2 Timothy 3, we have a passage within which God warned us. God tried to warn us ahead of time that a world was coming wherein this lack of respect, this disrespect, would filter down into and adversely affect every life and every soul and every situation that it is allowed to gain an advantage over and control. It's a passage that doesn't mention the word disrespect, and yet you can see it in almost every situation it mentions. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 through 4, Paul writes to young Timothy, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. You see, they'll have no respect for God. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, <coughs> brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul told Timothy, he said, this is what's coming. For those of you taking notes, there's a passage that you should add to your notes. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 echo these same sentiments. You know, Webster defines the word respect in part as this. <clears throat> to show honor or esteem for. To hold in high regard or to hold in high and dutiful, dutiful regard. The idea of respect, obviously disrespect being the opposite, but the idea of respect is that of holding another person, that of holding someone else in such high esteem or such high regard that you honor their power, that you honor their presence, that you honor their wisdom, that you honor their authority. And obviously the way you do that is by being willing to obey them and do what they say. Why don't you stop and think about the world you live in today? and how it is a total lack of fear, a total lack of respect for the authority of God. Think about this, really consider it. It is a lack of respect for the authority of God that is at the root of so many of the life and death situations in our world, I say your world, but in our world, I'm still here. <laughs> you know, for some of us that I won't say grew up, but some of us got older uh, years ago. We were youth years ago. 
maybe decades ago, some of the things that we see on the news today, we wouldn't have even thought those in our worst dreams. People walking into schools and shooting people, I mean, you know, we just didn't hear of those sorts of things. And yet today, it seems like it's a commonplace occurrence. And somebody over in the congregation where I preached said, how could such a thing happen? How could that even happen? How, how is that possible? I said, the answer is simple. The answer is Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. If you're taking notes, take, I'm not going to turn there. But the answer is Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, the conclusion of which is in verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That sums it up. That's how this happens. That is exactly how this happens. The root of the problem is a total lack of fear or reverence or respect for the authority of God, for the person of God, for the judgment that's coming. You know, if somebody doesn't believe God exists, and somebody doesn't think there's going to be a judgment day, and they don't think that they're going to have to be held responsible for whatever they've done, they can do anything they want. There is no respect for God. Also, there is a complete and total lack of respect for the preciousness and the sanctity of human life which God created. That's how these things happen. But what else should we expect? Because the Bible says we reap what we sow. You know, when prayer was kicked out of schools and God was kicked out of schools and the Roe v. Wade thing was passed and the millions of babies that have been aborted, all of those things that have happened, they've led to this total lack of respect for God. And although that is not on you young folks, but it's a problem you have inherited from mine and your parents and your grandparents' generation. It should serve to prove to you one thing. It should prove to you the life and death damage that can be done if one continues to sow the seeds of disrespect for the authority of God. This is what can happen. This satanic attitude of disrespect for God or for your parents or for any other sort of authority is so prevalent in our world today. You know, you turn on these commercials and you've probably all seen the one with the young man and his father sitting there and they wonder how so-and-so got tickets to the game. You know, the kid knows all about it because he's much smarter than his father. You know, he's like 12 years old and he's so much smarter than his dad. Seems like every commercial you turn on, seems like every show you watch, you know, 12, 14-year-olds that don't have a clue about life and haven't gone through the experiences of their parents are ten times smarter than their parents are. That's the world we live in. So, those people that have a proper respect for parents, who have a proper respect for authority, you know, in our world today, they're seen as weirdos. They are. They're seen as weirdos. The Bible would put it a little different than that. Peter says they are a peculiar people. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 in the King James Version. Those people that will respect the authority of God and obey God and do what is right in God's eyes despite what the world thinks. He says they're a peculiar people. He says in 1 Peter 4 and verse 4 that when you do that, you seem strange. Let me ask you a question. You ever done something, young folks, that you know God wanted you to do? And somebody in your friend's circle that wasn't a Christian or didn't go to church thought you were a little weird because you did it? Yeah, that happens. When you respect the authority of your parents, when you respect the authority of God, you're seen as a weirdo. You're seen as a stranger and alien. 
You're seen as strange to the world around you. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter, if you would. And we're going to capsulize a lot of this tonight. But I just want you to think of this idea of respect as we go down through 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, chapter 1, In the first 12 verses, I'm just capsulizing till we get to the meat of the lesson here. In the first 12 verses of 1 Peter, chapter 1, we see that we must have a proper attitude of respect for God, for God's power, and for God's authority when we're going through trouble in life. And the Bible tells us there in those 12 verses that if we have a great respect for God during that time, that it will be rewarded. You know, sometimes our faith and our trust in God's power, when we're going through something hard, something difficult, we may seem silly to the rest of the world. Well, how can you even, you know, you're praying about this, how can you even, you know, you can't see God, you can't touch God, and, and, and you're trusting in this God? Most people can't see love either, but some of them feel as though that they love people. Just saying. In the final 13 verses of chapter 1, we see how the proper attitude of respect for, the, for God's sacrifice of His Son, as well as the proper attitude of respect towards God's Word, changes the lives of those who will lovingly show their appreciation and gratitude to God by obeying Him, by submitting to Him. We go on in chapter 2 where it shows us that such people with the proper attitude of respect towards God and toward His Word and toward His Son's sacrifice, they attend Bible study and worship services incessantly. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. If you read through chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, it will talk about how these, these Christians, they crave the Word of God like newborn babies crave the milk. That's just what it tells us there in that passage. You know, if you have a newborn baby and... The baby's hungry. It doesn't matter if you're in church services. It doesn't matter if you're at the concert. It doesn't matter what. That baby's going to scream. That baby gets fed. Is that right? That baby's hungry. That baby's going to eat. And that's just the way it's going to be. And that baby's going to continue to let you know until you feed the baby, right? Well, that's what Peter says here as far as Christians who <laughs> properly respect God and His Word. And they're so grateful, chapter 1, for all that God has done for them. As newborn babes, verse 2, they desire the milk of the word that they may grow thereby if indeed they have tasted. The Lord is good. Now, sometimes when you go to church, sometimes when you say, you know, somebody, some friends have a party on Wednesday night or doing something, hey, can you come over? No, I can't. I got Bible study. What do you mean you got Bible study? Can't you go, you know, Bible study some other time? You, you may get that. Because you see, when you have the proper attitude of respect for God and His word, there's certain people that are going to think, well, that's kind of foolish. That's kind of silly. That's chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. They stumble, verse 8, being disobedient to the word. But then I want you to notice what he says in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2. We are called to be completely different than the disrespectful world all around us. Verses 9 and 10. But you, this is in comparison to those who think it's silly to obey God. 
But you, verse 9, are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. And because you have now obtained mercy, because you have now accepted the love and the grace and the mercy and the sacrifice of God, what do you have? You have this deep and abiding respect for God, for His Word, and for His sacrifice. Well, how do you show this respect? By constantly learning and obeying God's Word. 1 Peter 2 Verses 11 and 12, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, your version may say strangers and aliens, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I love what the Apostle Peter does next. He's told you, you can't be like the world around you. You need to live in respect of God for what he's done for you. You're special people. You're strangers and aliens. And then Peter does this. This is so cool. Peter goes on from here and he shows us exactly how the proper attitude of respect for authority makes itself evident in the life of those who are truly living for and belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins in verses 13 through 17 of chapter 2 by saying this. This proper attitude of respect for God's authority shows up in one's obedience to the laws of the land or to the governing authorities. That is, when the laws of the governing authorities do not contradict God's law, Acts 5.29. So young people and older people, let's get right down to it. Let's, let's get right down to where the rubber meets the road. How many of you young folks have your licenses? Thank you, Bob Deffenbaugh. <laughs> you have your licenses. Okay? You know what? As a Christian, that means you need to obey the speed limit. It means you need to obey the traffic laws. Now, you can laugh and you can giggle, but what did we just read? What did we just see here? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 tells you that you are to obey the laws of the land. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, echo the same thing. As God's people, you are to respect the laws of the land. Let me tell you something. I didn't grow up in the church. Most all of you know that. I was 26 when I was converted. And as a young man, I loved to drive really, really fast. Okay? I had a car with an engine that would probably outdo anything you've ever ridden in because back then they were real cars and muscle cars and those sorts of things, okay? But I'm just telling you up front, okay? Can't tell you how many accidents I had, but don't remember them all, but that's the way it goes. And I used to drive a tractor trailer for a living. And I used to drive really, really fast. I drove to New York City. I drove to Boston. I had deliveries down there. The faster I drove, the quicker I got home. I drove really fast. Then we became Christians. We were converted. Within a few months, 
Romans 13, 1 through 7, and in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 got really real. And I realized that as a Christian, I had to live different. I slowed down, started obeying the speed limit. Now, I'm sure that some of those other drivers that you swell convoy with, and we'd all take off and go as fast as we could. I'm sure they thought I was pretty, you know, a little missing a few, you know. They thought I was nuts, I'm sure. Matter of fact, Peter would tell us of people who don't understand when we're converted and we do those sorts of things in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 5. But you know what? That was a great evangelistic opportunity. Somebody come along and say, why are you not driving like you did three weeks ago? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you why my life is different today. Because I'm going to a different place than I was headed then. What an opportunity. Anyway, moving along quickly because of the clock. Eventually what happened a few years down the road when computers first got really popular, they put these computers in our trucks that could tell how fast you were going right to the second. And boy, you should have heard the complaints from the other drivers when those went in, but I was as happy as I could be because I'd already slowed down several years before that. It really wasn't a problem. Thank you. <laughs> I had coming down a hill one day in a 50 mile an hour zone, coming down a hill and went to 35 at the bottom. There was an S-curve around the lake there back in Maine. And they just paved the road, and there was this car coming really fast behind me, and he squirted out around me, coming into a blind corner. And so I'm coming into this corner, and there's another guy that wants to do it too, and I'm looking down around this next corner, because I'm in the tractor trailer, I see another car coming, I see this guy riding my bumper, it's not going to end well. I'm paying attention to that, I don't pay attention to my right front wheel. My right front wheel gets over into the soft sand, and the tractor trailer went over, and I totaled it. And I was trying to feed my family. With my income. My boss takes me in a week later and he says, let me tell you something. He said, this company looked for every reason to fire you. You totaled the rig. But he said, that computer said in that 35 mile an hour zone, you were two miles an hour into the speed limit. He said, if you'd have been two miles over, we could have said, speeding and fired you. But because you were two miles an hour under, come back to work Monday morning. Is that a praise God or what? Yeah. You see, we are to obey the laws of the land. And you know, today, even some police officers, some police officers don't have any respect, it seems like, for the laws they're enforcing. You get down the highway, you set your cruise control at 75, the speed limit is 75, and you know, you, you get out of the way because the guy behind you that wants to do 80 or more, and you get out of his way and he pulls over in front of you so the cruiser with no lights on can do 90 to go by him. In some cases that happens. And so it's hard for us to say, well, if the cops are, you know, they're, they're just speeding around, you know, and everybody else is, why can't? Because you're not everybody else. You belong to Jesus. Amen. Our kids used to say to us, but dad, so-and-so's doing it. So-and-so's daughter's doing it. That ain't my daughter. And you ain't doing it. We're sons and daughters of God. Parents, this is a two-way street. I've often taught teenagers over the years, and I've told them, teenagers, if you want respect from your parents, respect them. Fair enough? 
If you want your parents to listen to you, you need to listen to them. Fair enough? Parents, if you want your kids to obey the laws of the land when it comes to putting your foot on the accelerator, guess what? You need to do it too. That's how we're different. Moving on, 1 Peter 2, 18 through 15. I'm sorry, that didn't make sense. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. Peter relates how the proper attitude of respect for those in authority makes itself known in our places of employment as well as anywhere else where we are not in charge. And that proper attitude of respect is to be there even and especially when those in charge are unfair or unjust or just hard to get along with. Sometimes that happens. But the Apostle Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. We move on and we get into chapter 3 of 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, we see the proper attitude of respect which a holy, humble, and God-fearing wife is to show to and for her husband. Verses 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, 22 and 33 echoes this when he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord and let the wife see that she respects her husband, Ephesians 5, 22 and 33. You see, respect and submission go hand in hand in any situation. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, we see the proper attitude of respect and honor which a holy, humble, and God-fearing husband will show and display and hold and cherish and how he will honor and appreciate his wife loving her as Christ loved the church and thus giving himself and his wants and his needs and his desires up for hers. As Paul would tell us in Ephesians 5, 25 and following. You say, well that ain't the way it works. That's not the way it works in today's world. You know what? You're right. That's not the way it works in the world. But it is, therefore, the very thing that makes those who exhibit that strangers and aliens in today's world. Because that is the way it works. The proper attitude of respect. A wife is to show her husband and a husband is to show his wife as he loves her as Christ loved the church. That is the way it works in God's word. That is the way it works in God's plan. That is the way it works amongst God's people, amongst those who have the proper attitude of respect for Him, His Son, His Word, and His authority, knowing that on Judgment Day, they're going to be called to give an account to that very Word, John 12 and verse 48. This is why, young people, if you want the absolute best marriage that you can possibly have, if you want a marriage that will last, if you want just the sweetest, most incredible marriage that you can possibly have, marry a Christian. If you want a spouse, boys and girls, who truly loves and honors and cherishes and appreciates and respects and is devoted to you, 
then marry a Christian who truly and sincerely loves and honors and cherishes and appreciates and respects and is devoted to God. Period. While we're discussing the proper and godly attitude of respect between husbands and wives, as Peter pointed out here in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, I would be remiss if I did not also mention the proper attitude of godly respect that's supposed to be in the rest of the family unit besides just husbands and wives. Peter didn't, but Paul did. See, that's you. That's you young folks. You see... In Colossians 3, 18 through 20, the Apostle Paul mentioned all three groups. This is what he said, Colossians 3, 18 through 20. He said, this is the proper and godly attitude of respect that is to be in the godly family unit. Here it comes. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, see he covers all three bases. Children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Young folks, believe it or not, I was young once. It was a long time ago, but I was there. I want you to think about something. Your mom and dad were once, even though you didn't know them then, they were where you are now. They were young folks. And they weren't married at one point. You don't come out of a womb married, obviously. They had to learn some things, and they had to grow through some things, and they've been through some struggles. They've been through some troubles, and they've learned in those struggles and troubles about leaning on God, about leaning on each other. They've learned something. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 6, listen to them that it may go well with you. Listen to them. Respect what they have to say. God says, because if you do, that'll help you have a better life. Now, you may not think they've been there, but they've been there. It is within the home wherein we learn the proper attitude of godly respect for authority through the discipline that we receive there. That's what makes us better Christians in the household of God. Did you know that? That's what we're told in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Christian parents and fathers in particular are doing their children a huge and loving favor and also honoring and obeying the authority of God when they discipline and train up their children to show respect to authority, to submit and obey and respect the rules and authority that God has placed over them. You know, when you learn as a young person to respect the perimeters put around you, when you learn that, that helps you to grow up into more productive and responsible adults and, and co-workers and classmates and spouses and all of those things. And finally, while we're still discussing the elements of 1 Peter chapter 3 right there in your Bibles, hopefully your Bibles are open in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, and what it takes to be a, a God-fearing, God-respecting strangers and aliens family biblically, <coughs> I would be missing the boat tonight totally if I didn't tie it all together and have a good heart-to-heart -heart talk regarding clothing. Clothing. 1 Peter chapter 3, let us read verses 3 and 4. Follow along, ladies. 
It says there, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. In a similar passage in 1 Timothy 2.9, Timothy would be told by the Apostle Paul that women must adorn themselves in modest apparel. I want to start with you dads. See, while I mean no disrespect whatsoever to any wife or woman or Christian sister here, you dads and husbands and fathers, you have something that none of the ladies amongst us will ever have to the extent that you do, and that is this. You men have a complete understanding of the vital visual, biological, physical, chemical, and psychological effect that an improperly dressed woman has on a man. You understand that in a way that your wives never will be able to. Nothing, no disrespect, ladies. There's things about, believe me, there's things about you ladies that guys will never understand either, okay? So we're even on this. Dads, If it's too tight, if it's too short, if it is too transparent, if it is too low cut, and you allow your daughter to walk out your door dressed in such a fashion that it is going to attract undue lewd male attention to their bodies, not only are you dads and husbands disrespecting your daughters, but you're disrespecting your wives, your church family, and your God. Karen and I were in Walmart a couple of years ago. We walked into something and a couple of young ladies walked in behind us. These young ladies, one of them, very pretty young lady, they walked into Walmart and they went in a hurry by us. And one of these young ladies had on shorts that I kid you not were right here. They couldn't have been any higher. They walked by us in a hurry. How their dads let them out of the house dressed like that is beyond me being a dad of two daughters. And they went scurrying by and one had fringe from the bottom of her shorts and Karen and I were just, it was like... But you know what maybe the saddest part of that whole thing was? One of those young ladies had on a very flimsy top as well, if you could call it that, spaghetti strap top, and on the back, it had the logo and the lettering advertising for a local church youth group. And if it seems that I'm picking on dads, might I simply remind you fathers tonight in the love of God, who it is that is responsible, who will be held ultimately responsible for the nurturing of respect within your children, and that includes your daughters, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. I'm not picking on dads, because I am one. 
Next, I want to talk to you young Christian ladies, Christian sisters and daughters, for the love of God. I want you to read verses 3 through 6 again, right here in 1 Peter 3. I want you to read verses 3 through 6 again. And again. And again. And again. I want you to read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, over and over and over and over. Until you see it. Here's what I want you to see. The world around you that is walking in the darkness of sin and disrespect to God is constantly lying to you. Ladies, the world around you is lying to you. True beauty is not determined by how you look on the outside today, but is defined by the heart after God that you have on the inside forever. True beauty is who you are for God on the inside. It's not all tied up on the outside. Proverbs 31 is something you need to read later, and it ends with these words, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The most beautiful ladies, young ladies, the most beautiful women in the world are not found on the movie screen. The world's been lying to you. They're not found on the movie screen. They're not found on a CD jacket cover. They're not found on the cover of a magazine. I'm going to tell you, Proverbs 31 and 1 Peter 3, I'm going to tell you where the most beautiful women in the world are found. They're found in the Lord's church. Every time the doors are open, they're found studying their Bibles. They are found committed to their God. They are found supporting their husband, whether he is a believer or an unbeliever. They are found supporting him. The most beautiful women in the world are those godly women who are committed to raising their kids in the Lord. Those are the most beautiful women in the world. what God says. Speaking of clothes, listen. I understand that it can be very difficult for a young lady to find proper clothing today for a stranger's and alien Christian family in today's world. I understand it can be difficult to find proper, appropriate, modest Christian apparel for a young lady who respects both her God, her parents, and her church family and especially herself. I raised, we raised, Karen and I raised two daughters. Katie lived at home until she was 30 years old. When Katie was in her 20s, 24, 26, 28, Katie would often come on a Sunday morning out of her room and say, Dad, is this okay to wear to church? The kid was almost 30. And I praise God. <coughs> Dad, uh, I don't know. That one's borderline. Ask him, Mom! <laughs> and you know what? If Mom said, um, not quite. Guess what? No grief. No hassle. She respected her mother because her mother knew. Or if Dad said, uh, I don't think so. That said, no, Kate. Okay. 
Katie respected herself. This young lady in the Walmart, she didn't respect herself. She didn't respect herself. Boys, young men, I want to talk to you too. I want you to consider this. And I realize tonight is, is tri-state. I realize some of you have traveled a long ways. I understand that. But I just want you young men who serve the Lord in worship to think about something. And that's this. Maybe some of us are a little older as well need to think about it. When you serve on the table and you lead prayers, consider this. I'm not particularly fond of neckties, okay? But I wear one every Sunday night. You know why? I'll tell you why. <coughs> Is Sunday the Lord's Day? Yes, the C, yes, this and no. Let's try it again. Is Sunday the Lord's Day? Yes. Okay. When we gather around that table, did the Lord promise that He'd be with us? Is Sunday night really any different than Sunday morning? Is it still the Lord's Day Sunday night? Still the Lord's Day until what, midnight? We got another five. I preach another five hours. Isn't that great? <laughs> still the Lord's Day. Now, if it's still the Lord's Day when we gather around that table to break the bread and eat the fruit of the vine, did the Lord promise that He would be with us in the kingdom when we did this, did He? Is the Lord with us when we're together in worship? Christ the King is here, is that right? Are you sure? Okay, yes he is. Doesn't the King of the universe deserve the best we got? Gentlemen, if we are leading prayers, if we are leading the congregation, especially into the very throne room of Almighty God, doesn't He deserve the best we have to give Him? So what are we doing leading prayers looking like we're going fishing? Let me ask us this. If some of you young men were going to a college and the college uh, athletic director had said, there's a possibility I'm going to give you a full four-year scholarship, let me ask you a question. If you were walking in for an interview and everything depended on this interview and a college president was going to be there and, and everybody that meant anything was going to be there, how would you dress? If your entire four-year tuition depended on it before these authorities, how would you dress? Would you show them more honor and respect than you do God? What about young people, or what about anybody who's about to be sentenced? They're brought before the judge. They're going to be sentenced. You know, you see them in their orange jumpsuits, or you see them in their handcuffs. But boy, when they come before the, before the judge to be sentenced, life and death maybe, freedom or anything else is on the line. And they come before the judge. Guess what? They're cleaned up. Their hair's combed. You know, they don't have a beard like I got. You know, they're... You know, they're looking pretty good. Why? Because they're before an authority figure that has in his hand the power of where they spend the next few years. 
Does God deserve at least as much of our best as they do? Does he? Malachi chapter 1, please. Malachi chapter 1. Respect. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. And you young men, I, I have seldom, I don't think I have ever, as a group, known any more respectful young people than those that I have been so blessed to come to know at Green Valley. So this, this is hard for me to say, but at the same time as I read the scripture, we've got to think about these things. Malachi chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, look at what God says. He says this, Malachi, obviously the book just before Matthew, little short book, just a few chapters. I want, you, I want to hear those Bibles turning. Especially you young men. I want you to look at this. Malachi 1 and verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my reverence? God says, if I'm truly the Lord here, where's the respect for me? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, how have we despised your name? He says, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, isn't it evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, isn't it evil? Offer to your governor, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? What's God's message? God's saying, look, you're bringing me less than your best. You're bringing me this disease, this stuff you're going to throw away anyway. You're bringing me less than your best. Don't I deserve at least as much as you give to the governor? You wouldn't offer this garbage to the governor. Why are you offering it to me? Don't I deserve at least as much respect as the governor? Verses 13 and 14 of Malachi 1 conclude. Verses 13 and 14, you also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? God says, should I really take less than your best? You, you give your best to a governor, but you're, you're not giving me the best you got. But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male, takes a vow, and sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared. God says, I deserve the best you got. Now, guys... Maybe the best you've got is a pair of jeans. Maybe the best you've got is a pair of coveralls. Praise God. Wear them. Give God the best you've got. Now I realize, I realize what the scriptures say about true beauty being on the inside. We just read that in 1 Peter 3 with the ladies. But listen, when a person has a heart after God, won't that, if you're right with God on the inside, and that's what God's looking for. God's more concerned with your heart than he is your clothes. But the point here is this. If you've got a heart that truly respects God, isn't that going to come out on the outside of you? In the way you behave, in the way you live, in the way you serve? Sure it is. So, it's not an either-or proposition, it's a both. And I just want us to think tonight what it means to show proper reverence to God. If when we come together to take of the elements, God is in the house. God is here. God allows us to be in His presence. Yes, first and foremost, what we are on the inside is what matters the most. But brothers, 
when we get up to serve the Lord and we lead this congregation into His presence in prayer, shouldn't we be showing all the reverence and respect that we can? Psalm 40 and verse 4 says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud. Do not allow yourself to be deceived by Satan. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by the disrespectful world all around you. Respect God and respect all of the authorities that God has placed over you for your good in everything. God's placed those over you for your good. Parents in the home, leaders in the church, governing authorities, teachers in your schools, bosses on your job. See, this respect is what the world is lacking today, and that's what's left it in such terrible and deadly shape. That's why people steal from other people. That's why people do bad things to other people. There's no respect. There's no respect for authority. But respect is what God's grateful people show to God and therefore to one another as they love and appreciate God. Consider these things. Just consider them. Do not be like the world around you who has no self-respect, no respect for authority, no respect for God, no respect for anything. Because you were saved by the blood of Christ to be different and better than that. Tonight, if there's anybody here that's not been cleansed by the blood, if there's anybody here tonight who's not a member of the Lord's Church, if you would do that, if you need the prayers of the church, maybe to make you stronger. If you have any of those needs, will you please come to the front as we stand and sing?